Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast, where we continue to work our way through Penn State's bye week here in the 2023 schedule. 5-0, number six nationally in the rankings. The Nittany Lions will come out of this bye October 14th against UMass for homecoming matchup, but a lot of attention already focused on that next road game in Big Ten play, October 21st at Ohio State. Things are going to get really serious, really fast for this Penn State football team. A little bit later here on this episode, you'll hear from Mark Brennan, Daniel Gowan, and myself on a bunch of bi-week roundtable kind of topics. We've had some content over at lines247.com. We'll break that down a bit more, including our picks for MVP so far, most improved players, some of our biggest question marks, and some picks for second half uh, second half breakouts as well for these Nittany Lions. But we begin with a familiar face here on the Lions 24-7 podcast and a close friend of the podcast, Josh Pate, who does wonderful things for 24-7 Sports Network and CBS Sports and hosts Late Kick. And I think everyone who listens, at least most of you out there, uh, are always excited when he hops on for these episodes. So we thought it would be a good bi-week discussion, a good time to check in on Penn State and a few other things in the Big Ten Conference with Josh. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, it's good to be here, man. So in the bye week, the posture can be a little more relaxed. You're just leaning against the hand. It's um. Do you feel like it's a do? I know you can't say this as a coach, but I assume the folks up there feel like it's a kind of a dual bye week or a bye week and a half. And then uh, Manny Diaz is already talking about Ohio State. It's great. We're trying to get Manny to talk about Ohio State. He's trying not to, but yeah, there, there's you know there's some forward thinking happening right now at those team facilities. They got through Northwestern 10-10 at halftime. It ends up 41-13. And Josh, I mean, where we're at now is the final product has been them covering the spread in all five games, five blowouts. You know, there's been some things to gripe about on our message board around halftime every game and in some post game stuff. But at the end of the day. This team is 5-0. and They're right where they want to be uh, and number six in the country. They're still looking up ahead in those rankings at that Ohio State and Michigan within their own division here. But what has stood out to you thus far from 300 minutes of football that Penn State has produced? Uh, how thorough they've been in, in finishing games like you just talked about. And it, not just winning. So in, in, in the Sunday game, I just care if you win. And winning's all that matters. And you are what your record says you are. Um, I know people say that on Saturdays, but that's really not the case. If you beat Northwestern 14 to 13, it's a win, but is it really a win? Like if that halftime score kind of goes on to hold a little bit, 
Because what people would be saying about you is, well, we're just prolonging the inevitable. Or this team can't beat Ohio State. This team can't beat Michigan. Well, uh, this team right here, we're watching can beat both of them. And there are some folks out there who, and I'm not so sure I may not be one of them, who look at Penn State and say, well, they've looked as good as anyone in the Big Ten. I've seen Ohio State in person this year. I have not gotten to see Michigan because they haven't played anyone with the polls. I've had no reason to go to any of their games. But I think um, I think what you and I talked about in August has sort of borne itself out. It's, it's played out exactly how we thought it would. Some, some nice quality challenges, and, and that West Virginia win looks even better and better by the week. But also you've got the ability to where if you take care of your business, you should not lose a game in September, you should get tested. We should learn things about the team, and we should see if they're flexing or have the ability to flex a little bit harder on teams than just being a team that survives and advances. Because we've seen survive and advance Penn State before. This looks like maybe a, a Penn State team that's able to flex on folks. And that's ultimately a hallmark of teams that go on to be contenders. So I feel as good about what you and I talked about in August as – I don't know, pretty much any team that I made predictions about because Penn State's been exactly what you and I thought they'd be, what I thought they'd be, and here we are, undefeated. The most recent one I said over Northwestern, but the week before that, you know, co coaches are never trying to look in the rearview mirror, but we can do it here on the podcast a little bit. Uh, 11 days ago or so, that whiteout win over Iowa, ranked at the time the Hawkeyes came to town, sounded like they had some confidence, but then they were derailed by injuries. I mean, Penn State didn't let them even have breathing room. Less than 100 total yards and, and, and piling on that whole situation with Kirk and Brian Ferentz. But Penn State, that perspective, put Iowa aside, just what they were able to go out and accomplish that night, what kind of a message do you think they were able to, to send? So I always look at it as um, there, there are two kind of ways you can mentally gear a program. And people just in general are like this. You know the minimum baseline it's going to take to accomplish a task. That's how most people are wired. They do the minimum baseline. That's how most football programs, sadly, operate. They do the minimum baseline. And then there are programs that just play to a standard regardless of opponent. And that's, that's the kind of team where you look up week after week. Washington's been kind of doing this a little bit. Bama's done it for a long time. Georgia has typically done it under smart. You look at their score, and you get a lot of you get a lot of blowout games, and they all end up looking virtually the same. And the critical metrics end up looking virtually the same, and it's it's for good reason. They just play the same way every week, and re regardless of opponent. But when the weaker opponent comes in, or when one that's vulnerable comes in, it looks ugly, and you end up having more total plays than your opponent has total yards, like you talked about in that Iowa game. And all of a sudden, people are like. Hey, this program, they've always won, but it, does it look a little different this year? Because that's kind of the collective talk around Penn State. If people are honest with themselves, just people in Wichita, Kansas, or Dallas, Texas, if they're honest with themselves, they I don't I don't think people have watched Penn State. I don't think the country has had one game where they've gathered in mass and said, now we got to watch Penn State today. Maybe they watched the West Virginia game, maybe. But by and large, and, and maybe the Iowa game. And if they tuned into that, it was probably for the spectacle of the whiteout, yeah. more so than thinking they were going to get a big game. But if you haven't watched them, even if you haven't, you're probably looking at these scores going, something about Penn State feels a little bit different this year. And I think that's dead on the money. Something is a little bit different about Penn State this year. 
Something that's a little bit different, and you picked up on this when you came to campus, is Drew Aller is now the starting quarterback. We've got so used to Sean Clifford, started almost 50 games here in a Nittany Lions uniform. We've got a five-game sample size of Drew Aller. A couple surprising things here, I guess. One is the fact he hasn't turned the ball over, and that goes back to all last year. It's what we heard about training camp, but five starts down, no fumbles, no interceptions against him. But the other thing is, has not taken many deep shots. We have not seen the explosive angle of this offensive attack really on the ground or through the air. And, but here he is through five games, hasn't really played much in the fourth quarter, 11 total touchdowns, no turnovers. We hear about his composure, you know, knowing full well what he has on the other side of the football with Manny Diaz defense, which I want to talk about with you in a second, but how would you kind of evaluate what we have seen from Drew Aller thus far and maybe what he can do the remainder of this season? Because I can't imagine that this is going to be his role when, when things get ramped up and the competition begins to increase and he's going to be have to be out there late in the fourth quarter firing passes downfield. Yeah, I think it's indicative that that staff had a plan with him and it's it's probably been executed on par with or close to being on par with exactly what they've wanted so far. Uh, the no turnovers is obviously key. I mean, that, that stat should just be plastered everywhere. Now, the follow-up with that is, uh, you know, Graham Mertz, just to, to draw a random name from Big Ten days gone by, he's not at Florida now. And he's had some good stat line games, but they they don't have him throwing the ball over 15 yards past the line of scrimmage. So it's padded his stats a little bit. Drew, the way they've handled him has been a lot more out of luxury than necessity because he can't do this or he can't do that. There's a big difference, I say this all the time, in cannot versus have not. There are things they have not done with him that – maybe if you don't know any better, you would think they cannot do with him. I will say this, though. As you said, the, the temperature will get turned up. There will be a time this year where he's probably got to lead a drive to win a game. Now, that drive can happen midway through the third quarter or with five minutes to go in the game. Sometimes you don't know when the game-winning drive is happening. But you mentioned composure, and I don't think they'll ever have an issue with that with him. When we were up there this summer, I spent – I spent a good chunk of a day with him. And even though he had not officially been the starter for Penn State football at that point, everyone kind of knew he was going to be this year. And he's, I don't know, he just he feels, he doesn't look 35 years old, but the demeanor is that of, of you know, a 30, 35-year-old guy, a guy on a second or third contract in the NFL, not big-headed at all, but just kind of kind of understands how to process things. He's the kind of person that, if someone jumped out from behind a bush and tried to scare him, he'd just go, hey, guy, and keep walking. Now, normal people would jump five feet off the ground. It just doesn't feel like stuff phases him, which is exactly what you want to be saying about your quarterback. I'm just interested when he does get put in that leverage spot, when it's when it's 20 to 17 Ohio State and Penn State's in plus territory and it's third and seven a couple of times. He's got to make those throws. I mean, we, we all know that's what seasons come down to. That's what it'll come down to for Penn State this year. Yeah, we're all we're all anxious to see it. I'm sure James Franklin is fine with them avoiding those moments through five games here and handling business in the way they have. Someone else you spent time with on your trip to campus, I know, is Manny Diaz, uh, and you came away from that conversation and talked with that uh, with us on it uh, this summer. I'm curious now. I mean, he's clearly established this Penn State defense through five matchups as one of the best in the country, um, and and they're at the point now where you go back to what he did last year. There's a, a, a extensive sample size of, of what he has done here in Happy Valley. And a lot of people wondered what his next move would be after that Miami job didn't work out. Would he be in a TV broadcast kind of situation? 
What do you make of, of what he has built here under James Franklin with this defense? Well, if I ran a consultant service, Manny Diaz at the outset of leaving Miami did what I would not advise guys to do. Like I, I'd advise guys to go live the buyout life for a year. Don't, don't stay away from the game. But like, I mean, I've talked to a couple of coaches, seen a couple of coaches recently who are unemployed currently living the buyout life and they just go to games every week. They experience what they haven't been able to experience in decades because they've been a coach every year. And so I, I'm just a believer that it never lessens your stock if you just take a year off, go experience the world, spend time with family, do the stuff that you can't do, recharge your battery. Well, Manny Diaz didn't do that. And when James Franklin got him, man, I, I wasn't doubting he got a quality coach. I was doubting how much of that coach was he getting, not knowing anything. I was not privy to, to anything. I hadn't talked to Manny Diaz at that point. I just wondered man, this guy got unceremoniously dumped by Miami, and is he going to be all in? Well, I mean, he's been all in and then some. And as a result, you've got two head coaches on your staff. you got one as a head coach. you got one as a defensive coordinator. And it's been pretty incredible to watch. And when, you know, when we were up there, we, we were just talking about this spring, we got, we got a really good, like, 30-minute conversation with, with Franklin, but that was on air. We talked with a number of players, but that was on air. <clears throat> but – we spent some time with Manny too. And that never really, I know clips of it made it on air, but the entire extended conversation didn't make it on air. It was as insightful. And I learned as much from that sit down with him as anything that we did all spring. And we talked to a ton of guys this past spring. Um, he is different in a good way. Everything that comes out of his mouth, it feels like has been processed through five different filters. There's no filler. There's nothing wasted. Everything, if you pressed him on it, he could, he could, he could back it up and then some. We, we got into a couple of spirited debates about, you know, like playoff-related issues, just things going on in college football. And, um, man, it would be such an honor to have that guy running my defense. You guys have him. I can't have him at Pate State. But that's, that's such a blessed situation. You, don't, you, you know he's not going to be there forever. So, you know, you got this window with a guy like him and a quarterback like Oller and personnel like this. And it is about taking advantage of it. It's about striking while the iron's hot because there's no guarantee that you have dynamic this good three years from now. Manny Diaz has been tremendous to deal with us on, on a media angle uh, every step of the way since he got to campus. We had some a, a conversation with him on Tuesday, Josh. I'll just let, let our listeners know that now. Lions247.com. Go check out uh, the contents and the updates that we had. A lot from Manny Diaz about this defensive development, individual players. Always good to speak with him. Insightful is the perfect word. Before we get into some other Big Ten conversation here and what Penn State's looking at down the, the lane a little bit, uh, what has stuck with you from that time you spent in Happy Valley during spring? ball you talked about uh, a, a palpable feeling and energy within the facilities on the field as practice was getting started that was a long time ago six months ago at this point they're five games in uh, they have lived up to the expectations in large what has stuck with you whether it's a conversation you had or whether it's something you observed when you look at this Penn State team now and how they're progressing so I travel every week and I know how my attitude is on the day I travel if I wake up and I know I've got a long flight tonight, everything that's being done that day is, is centered around, let me make sure I get to the airport on time. Let me be very intentional about making sure nothing goes wrong. And I don't know, that's the best normal human way 
I can describe how it felt being in the building. Everybody was everybody was dialed in. Everybody's singing from hymnalism. Meemaw would say everyone's on the same page, but everyone is so obviously dead set on carrying out a game plan, a mission. Everything's intentional. The way they ate, uh, the way they lifted, the way certainly they practiced, and we watched a full practice session, but everybody, every it was like watching a freight train with 200 cars on it, but they're all going the exact same direction. They're all going at the exact same speed. And I think an outsider would say, well, yeah, but that's what every football program's like. I mean, that's it has to be like that. No, it doesn't have to be like that. Just because you got a bunch of guys wearing the same T-shirt or the same jersey or wearing a helmet with the same logo on it, just because every coach has the same the same logo on his on the lapel of his shirt, there it does not guarantee anything. That's why people use the word culture so much, and it, it's like a buzzword to the uninformed. And people think, oh, that's culture. That's just something people say. It's not. It's something people do, and not all of them do it right. And that's why when you walk into a place where it is done right, it slaps you in the face because you come from the outside and on the outside, people are not held to that standard in general. And so when you walk into a place where the standard's high and it's being met, it doesn't matter if it's spring practice. You pick up on it. You, you are immersed in it. And I'll tell you this too. I was up there two days. I spent two days around that program. It has a funny effect on you because it can start impacting you. It can impact the way you carry yourself in, in, in a good way. It can impact the way you're thinking and you leave there and all of a sudden you're driving back to Harrisburg to fly back to Nashville and you're saying, why, why do I feel so good? Why do I feel so accomplished? Why do I feel like I could go take on five grown men at the same time right now? It's because you've been temporarily immersed in a high level culture. It's, it's really funny what that can do. We're 16 days out from this team hitting the road, going to Columbus and, and kicking off against the Ohio State Buckeyes, who are currently and unbeaten as well, number four in the country. And uh, they have owned this series. It has been some one point victories. There have been some some more uh, decisive victories for Ohio State. But since 2016, when Penn State made its surprising Big Ten title run, it has not been able to break through that Ohio State brick wall in the Big Ten East. Michigan's coming to town. I'm going to ask you about them in a moment, but this is, no offense to you, Mass, who's coming into town for homecoming. This is really the talk of our message board right now is how Penn State's measuring up against Ohio State and Michigan. Let's start with the Buckeyes. What have you seen from them so far? What are your biggest concerns, and what do you think they've proven? Well, they've proven they can win games different ways, which is not what we would have necessarily said about Ohio State recently under Ryan Day. I mean, even the year... In 2020, I guess the COVID year, when they went to play for a national title, that was a team that had to play one way to win. They had to outscore you. And uh, they did most of the year and didn't against Alabama. So I go up to Notre Dame, and I, I hadn't seen them in person yet. I'd, you know, I'd watched and observed like everyone else had. But it was really obvious. They knew they weren't going to score a lot that night. And the game plan really revolved around a complimentary approach and defense if need be winning a game and they did and i'll tell you that texas went to go see texas versus alabama for a long time that game's 13 to 9 texas's defense ended up winning them a big game and we didn't used to say that about them so you got two programs there texas and ohio state um hey bama for for the records playing the same way this year defense all of a sudden for a lot of these perennial contending programs um, is really stepping up. Penn State's has obviously stepped up. Michigan's obviously has, has had a good one. So I look at all those teams, and Ohio State specifically because we're talking about them, and I always wonder, 
okay, if you can win games in multiple ways, you're buying the rest of your team runway. And you're buying your offense runway, and it's time. They don't have to take off week one and be firing on all cylinders. So with them, I I think more highly of Ohio State, I think, than the general public. Because the general public's just judging Ohio State on what they've been so far, which is totally fair. I happen to think there's probably a room to room to climb, I guess is the best way to put it, with Ohio State still, because of the way that they can win games other ways. And so, I look. I I think him. I think Ryan Day bringing in Jim Knowles a couple of years ago is it's kind of like what we're talking about with bringing in Manny Diaz. That I mean, they don't win that Notre Dame game if he's not there. They don't. They get beat twenty-seven to ten or something like that. That's probably what would have happened. And so I look at that game coming up in a couple of weeks, and I don't know what the total is going to be. I don't run a sports book, but every play will be magnified because there is. There is such a small margin for error in games like that. Every first down matters. Frankly, it's the way I prefer to watch football instead of the pinball style back and forth. So you, you've got two pretty evenly matched teams there, and Vegas will throw home field in there and may slightly lean Ohio State in, on a neutral site. But this is a game Penn State very much has within reach. And you remember when Oregon went into Columbus a couple of years ago with Mario Cristobal and got a huge win? I... I think about that game a lot because I think about how it catapulted the perception of that program and the perception of that coach. Well, James Franklin's been around a lot longer and has a lot more established pedigree than Mario did at that point. But the national talk on him is, can you win the big one? What can they win the big 10? Can they make the playoff? All of a sudden you win that night and you're, you're the toast of the town, which is rat poison because it's still the middle of a season. But that's how that would go down, and I'm, I'm looking really forward to it. I highly suspect we may be in the neighborhood for that one. Makes sense. And in the visual, you're right, the visual of James Franklin walking off the field, still on beaten, leaving Columbus, that, that, that would be highly impactful. Let's finish with this. Michigan, uh, you know, they, they still sit in the throne. They've got back-to-back -back Big Ten championships. Uh, where are they? they? They've got the, the quarterback stability, too, unlike Ohio State and Penn State that goes back beyond 2023. Um, are, are you thinking that this Michigan team is built to lead the way in the, uh, for the rest of the way until they get to Ohio State, Michigan, or uh, Penn State, or are you kind of putting them in a cluster with these two teams? Uh, they're in the cluster for me with those mm -hmm. two teams. Now, I think, <clears throat> I, like I said earlier with Penn State, but even more so with Michigan, no one has watched Michigan. Nobody. You've got people out there giving definitive takes on them that have not watched them because there's no reason to watch them. They're not playing anyone. And I don't fault that. Well, actually, I do fault in general that a schedule that week could be put together. But the specific team, like as as we're here and the schedule is what it is, I don't fault teams for not playing anyone. When I say you haven't played anyone, I don't automatically mean, well, that must mean you're overrated. You could be underrated. You could be the best team in the country and me not know it. So what I do think with them is I think we largely should know who they are. I don't think they've gotten 15% better magically because players returned. I don't think J.J. McCarthy is 20% scaled and improved himself just because he returned. I think he's who he is, and he's a really good quarterback. Not elite. He's a really good quarterback. That's who he is. I think that team is is really good. I don't know if Michigan's elite, and if if we're calling them elite, maybe we've lowered the standard for what elite means because this year we don't see an elite team. So this year's very good is most years elite. Maybe if you think that way, okay. But 
I, I am both not going to write you off, but also not be fooled by what you do against inferior competition. Because the bottom line is there are cracks in every one of these dams out here. And all due respect to their opposition, no one they faced can put the adequate water pressure on those cracks to expose them, which makes them look flawless. We see that every year with college football teams. But there are ways to beat Michigan. There are also many more ways that they can embarrass you. So, I mean, there are going to be a few teams, two of them you just mentioned, built to contend with them. And unfortunately, we have to wait until the last month of the season to see it. And they're all packed in this division for one more season. It changes next year in the Big Ten. Josh, always appreciate the perspective. Can you let our listeners and viewers know where you'll be heading uh, this weekend and, and where we can find your coverage all season long? Yeah, I will be OU Texas this Saturday. Be on the sidelines for the Red River Shootout down in the Cotton Bowl. I'm, I love that thing. I've been there once. I love that. Uh, you can you can watch our show wherever you want to. You can find Late Kick on YouTube. You can find Late Kick in your podcast feed, um, at Late Kick Josh on the socials. So pretty much anywhere you want to consume content, if you want Late Kick, it will be there for you. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. We'll see if we get you to Happy Valley again here in 2023, if Penn State can provide that platform. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Fingers always crossed for it. I appreciate it, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Following another fantastic uh, conversation with Josh Pate. We really appreciate his time each each time he joins us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're going to shift focus back to our regulars and Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, who Join me on the Penn State practice field on Wednesday evening for our latest look at the Nittany Lions. You're always curious what you're going to see during a bye week. And we actually had a pretty long look. We saw some one-on-one action between some defensive backs and receivers and tight ends. We also got to see some of that in the trenches, which was a bit enlightening. Um, And I think ultimately, though, what we were all looking for was the status of a few players who came out of that Northwestern matchup banged up in some kind of way. We'll start with the positives, Daniel, at receiver Malik Mega and Harrison Wallace, full participants during our open window of practice availability Wednesday. Kind of what we've seen from Malik Mega for the past month. He's been ruled out for the last four games, so kind of an unclear situation there. Harrison Wallace, though, has a little been a little bit more detectable in our visits to practice at times, whether he has his helmet off or whether he's not participating in everything. Again, both those receivers full go. Harrison Wallace missed two of the last three matchups, and the one that he did play in, he was kind of a bit player. Yeah, I think Mega is a is a big curiosity at this point. I think that you know, we'll once he's back, <laughs> then we'll kind of be then we'll kind of know. Um, I think that it's more just just wait and see um, with him. But you know, as for Harrison Wallace, um, you know, we got a little bit of clarity from James Franklin um, after the after practice and saying that. You know, they that Harrison Wallace has has been ready to come back before, but um, I think he termed it as he got stepped on um, and that tweaked whatever he's dealing with and was kind of a setback to hold him out. So it does seem like he's on track to return after the bye. Um, You know how much that is, how much of a workload that is, especially when you consider UMass as that first opponent um, ahead of that Ohio State game. We'll have to wait and see, but you know it does seem like that Harrison Wallace is trending in the right direction, and it does seem like that you know we might finally get to kind of the the end with this where he's completely back, you know, as opposed to being questionable warm ups, you know, a couple reps here against Iowa, no reps against Illinois or Northwestern. Um, but yeah, you know, this is I think he's one of the guys where this bye week was very very well timed wasn't necessarily surprising to see both of those receivers involved the way they were. What maybe was a bit surprising, considering the last time we got eyes on him with Katron Allen uh, out there with Nick Singleton, Trey Potts, and the rest of the running backs in full uniform, going through drill work, running routes, everything you'd expect to see from an active member of that running back room. And uh, Mark, it was concerning because I think he played fewer than 10 total offensive snaps, he, he, six carries for 27 yards. He remains this team's leading rusher, just over 300 yards on the ground. He's about four and a half yards per carry, uh, which is about 0.7 yards higher than Nick Singleton at this stage. So you think about removing him from the equation from a ground game that hasn't really flourished, got a little dicey. So very good to see. We'll have to check in on him again next week. you got the UMass game, but I thought it was encouraging to see number 13 out there going through it all. Yeah, I mean, you really have to wonder what the situation was because when, when we were out there in the press box, the body language wasn't the greatest. I, I mean, right. it almost looked like a guy who felt he could play uh, and, and was disappointed that they weren't allowing them to play. I mean, at one point, the entire offensive 
huddle was in one spot and he was kind of over on the bench. And then after the game, he was walking off the field and you could tell Abdul Carter was kind of talking to him. So I'm reading between the lines here. I don't want to make too much of it. But what I would say is if the staff is erring on the side of caution with these players, I think it's the very smart thing to do. Uh, you know, they knew they were going to get through that game, regardless of how close it might have been at different times. Uh, you know, clearly they didn't even play Trey Wallace, so they knew they were going to get through that game. And why not play it as safe as possible, knowing what looms ahead? I think the greater question is, who are we going to see this next week against UMass? I say this week, people I think understand for the for the pending game this weekend. Uh, there is no game, which is going to be kind of fun. Uh, but who are who are we going to see, and who are we not going to see? Do does the coaching staff take the approach of let's get a Harrison Wallace out there and get him some snaps, or do they say, you know, listen, I think if you realistically look at what UMass has done to this point of the season, it's going to be a real uphill climb for the Minutemen. Do you just continue to play it as safe as possible? So that's where I think they're going to be in a little bit of, of a position where they have some decisions to make. And it's going to, so whatever you think about that UMass game, it's going to be important for us to be there and keep eyes on what's going on in the, in the pregame. Yeah, we'll be there early. And, and, and it's always interesting how a team comes out of the bye week at two weeks to kind of heal up, but also two weeks. Uh, to, to maybe realize that something's a little more serious than you initially suspected or lingering deeper into the season. So we'll be keeping tabs on that, specifically on the offensive line, where you, you lost a potential starter in Landon Tengwall to an untimely medical retirement in August. And now you're without J.B. Nelson, at least in the practice portion that we saw, and we don't know what that means going forward. He's certainly going to be the first guy I think we try to get eyes on next Wednesday during UMass practice week. So Daniel, J.B. Nelson was carted off the sideline. It wasn't a situation where he was sprawled on the field and, and shouting in agony, and then he was carted away. It was something that he probably didn't pick up on unless you were watching on a TV broadcast, which I was. And J.B. Nelson was hard to see what was going on there. Uh, he had a, a towel hanging over his head, uh, and he was carted off to the locker room. And it was asked about after the game, and James Franklin just kept it to, you know, he's with the team, and, you know, he's – heading home with us. So I think with JB Nelson, the question becomes if this is an extended absence and then you're essentially down your first left guard or your second left guard, however you want to view it, 1A, 1B, whatever Landon Tengwall and JB Nelson may have been, all of a sudden Vega Ioane, the, the luxury status, that's that's gone. Now he is a starter for you. The ability to get Salim Wormley some rest, you know, he talked about how great it felt being fresh uh, through September, that's gone. Uh, unless you want to jeopardize the situation, not only with the red shirt, but really test where he's at against big 10 defenders with Anthony Donka. Um, and, and you say so the other thing here is, is Daniel, it may be a domino effect based on what we saw on the practice field. We had some VIP notes up. You could see a Caden Wallace, Drew Shelton and Javen Williams kind of impacted by all of this as they look for options on the interior and all of a sudden, this goes from a luxury component of depth to a necessity component. J.B. Nelson, we don't know the status there. I asked James Franklin if it was a season-ending injury after practice. He said it was not a season-ending injury, or if it, if it was, it's not something that they're ready to declare that yet. Um, 
why did I ask it that way? Because James Franklin has made it very apparent, you know, during his time here as Penn State's coach that he's not going to address in injuries directly unless they are of the season-ending variety. He, in fact, made a joke with us in August about Smith Vilbert and said, oh, that was a season-ending injury all the way back in the spring. Just no one asked me. So we got to ask, and that's really the way to phrase it. It may seem like you're bringing out a hammer and dropping it on James' head and saying, is this guy out for the season? But if we ask, is he out for this game or is he out right now? We're not going to get any clarity. At least we'll get something on the season-wide question. So with that, Daniel, I throw it to you. For as long as J.B. Nelson is out of the equation, what do you think this means for the offensive front? Yeah, I think in our VIP notes, you did a really good job of detailing what you saw. Um, that was pretty different that we haven't seen before in terms of you know guys like Caden Wallace and Javen Williams uh, moving around uh, to different spots. Um, but, you know, I think that when you talk about the depth being tested, I mean, this is the type of situation where you build all of that depth for you, know, you think about maybe past teams, you know, that, you know, losing two left guards or not having two left guards, um, you know, five years ago for Penn State, six years ago for Penn State, what would that do to an offensive line? So, you know, I, I think that Penn State has done a good job of developing this depth. Um, you know, I think you put it well also that they had a really nice three guard rotation going with JB Nelson, with Sal Wormley and with Vanga Ioane, you know, in terms of getting those guys reps, getting those guys rest, you know, showing different looks, um, you know, rewarding them for, you know, putting themselves in position to contribute. And that goes out the window right now. Um, so, you know, now you're really going to be leaning on, um, you know, depending on what happens with JB Nelson, you're potentially leaning on two guys to play a lot of football down the stretch. Um, and the depth right now, I think that, you know, you're kind of on that razor's edge, depending what happens, you know, with JB Nelson. Um, so it'll be, it'll be curious to see what this, what this looks like moving forward. Um, you know, I think that you do have the luxury of the bye week where you can experiment with some of these combinations. Um, you know, I think the one thing that, potentially losing um, JV Nelson would do that. I think uh, in terms of cohesiveness uh, and how they decide to fix it, you know, you can do a one for one switch with, uh, with Vango Ioane, but if you start moving pieces around, then you might have two different starters uh, on the line as opposed to one. Um, and you know, that can have a bit of a, a chain reaction in terms of, you know, guys getting settled in communication, but you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when we get out there in a week, you know, what we see, what we see in warmups against UMass uh, and beyond. Yeah, I want to reiterate, no idea on the timetable for Jake <laughs> yeah. Nelson. He could be at practice next Wednesday when we go out there, and then this conversation is pretty much moot. But I think really the emphasis here is, is he available for that Ohio State game? When you're on the road against that defensive front that the Buckeyes are going to bring, is JB Nelson Nelson available or are you working much thinner from a depth perspective than what you would have anticipated, you know, a week or two ago? And, and I think the guy there that we have to probably mention now, and, and it feels like the season for him to step up. We've seen it in different phases. This coaching staff, as we expected, made it an emphasis to work him in in September. But Nick Dawkins, you know, the son of, of a former Philadelphia 76er, an NBA star. He's got that athletic pedigree. That part of the storyline has been well documented. But what we have now in year four is a guy who came back from an injury that cost him most of his redshirt sophomore season. He's really the, the guy you're looking at here from that 2022 offensive line class beyond Olu Fashionu to contribute at this stage of their career. And Mark, to me, if J.B. Nelson is going to miss any sort of time here, Nick Dawkins, who has worked in as both a center and a guard, 
maybe he becomes a rotational component. And then what does that look like? Well, yeah, he's obviously a big fan of Brennan Camp too, because he was hassling me uh, out in Illinois, which is pretty funny. He's really, uh, you know, has a great sense of humor. But you know what? He's been banged up for a lot of his career, so I don't think we really know what to expect from him. In all seriousness, uh, you know, how how good is he? Uh, so if this does open the door for him, you know, it's there could be worse places that you would have to go than to a guy who's been in the program for multiple years, and I think everybody looks up to. You know, he's clearly a leader on the team. But again, we just don't know how that translates into if he's needed uh, for for 30, 40 snaps per game. You know, how is he going to get it done? But if he gets the opportunity, uh, you know, I'm anxious to see uh, how how he handles it. One other thing I would say about the the practice yesterday that jumped out to me, and I'm just kind of going off the rails a little bit here, but Franklin sure seemed a little salty, didn't he? I mean, during practice – he was like calling people out, and then in the interview session, he was he he, he was getting a little testy with with, with people. Uh, it's and, not and an I, off week, man. It's not. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's an intentional. I think it might be an intentional was. posture because it's not like a chill vibe scenario. And you got UMass, and we can kind of yawn our way through that game. Absolutely, let's not really worry about Ohio State until it comes here. No, there was an urgency that was apparent. I think in a lot of what we were hearing from coaches, we heard some players getting heated, some freshmen getting heated among each other, and, and maybe that starts with the head man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there, there was definitely an F-bomb dropped out on the field and somebody getting chewed out a little bit, and then he starts going at it with you over the injuries, and he's going at it with other reporters, and all of this. I'm not complaining about any of this because I think that's part of the fun dynamic. You know, I, you get, to, you get a, a, a better understanding. That's why we love going to practice because you get to see what kind of the mindset is. You know, we didn't know that. If we weren't at practice, we would not have ha- have have gotten that sort of feel for it. But it goes to exactly what you're saying, Tyler, and that's why I brought it up that I think that these guys are kind of dialed in during this bye week, realizing that it would be really easy at 5-0 and to just rest on your laurels. And Franklin addressed that afterward. He said there's a maturity to this team that they realize that you have to take every week seriously. And I think that they, I think, you know, all kidding aside with him going, you know, talking to you and, you know, yelling at players in the field, I think it was an indication that there's a a certain seriousness in this bye week that they are not goofing around. Yeah, I appreciate the the uh, the attitude and, and the environment that we encountered there at practice. I don't think it's a bad place to be for a 5-0 yeah. team that has blown out five opponents and has what appears to be a cupcake coming up on the schedule. I think you like that. Um, and and you just, you know, can can you continue to find ways each week, whether you have a game or whether you, you have Ohio State or whether you have kind of a letdown scenario playing out, can you find ways to keep yourself motivated? That's the key for every great team. And, and something that James Franklin uh, talked about after this game, after practice, aside from Daniel Gallon's mustache and, and how, you know, and all of it he was, was Daniel, the question you eventually asked after the mustache interaction was about how do you, you know, without taking that adversity through a loss early in the season and, and that gut punch and having to internalize it, how do you improve? How do you continue building your mindset as a program? And, and I thought he had a really enlightening answer. It was probably his longest answer of the session. Yeah, I mean, Mark was talking about uh, Franklin being a little chippy with everyone, and you know, not with me though. We, I thought we we were getting along pretty well in that that post game uh, news conference. But yeah, I, Franklin kind of mentioned it earlier in the news conference, and it's something that I think I've I might have asked this before last year. We've talked about it before, where 
you know, the, the mark of a good team is, is figuring out how to improve without, you know, ha- suffering a huge setback. Um, and he was asked a question earlier uh, about, I forget what exactly the context was, but he made a comment that was basically like, you need to win every game. You know, when you talk about, uh, you know, getting to where you want to go, I think he said, technically, you have to win them all. Um, and I think that in the past, you know, we've seen, like, I think last year was a good example where, you know, you see Penn State get, you know, knocked back by Michigan. They come back the next week uh, against Minnesota and turn in a really complete performance. You, know, you see them, you see that Ohio State game get away from them at the end. And then you, then they just kick it in the gear and just mow through that last month of the season. Um you know, if Penn State wants to win the Big Ten, uh, if they want to make this four-team college football playoff, you know, the margin for error is really, really slim. I mean, uh, I think it's something that we'll probably have to get into later uh, once these playoff rankings start coming out. But you know, ten and two isn't going to get you in. Um, you know, eleven and one, then you start asking the question. But the easiest way to do it is to not leave any doubt. Um, and to just take care of, of everything. Um, so I think that you know, the thing that he went back to in, in answering that question was, you know, the maturity of the team, you know, that that's something where, you know, guys that have been through it, um, you know, guys that know what to expect um, and, and everything that goes along with that. So, yeah, I, I think that it is really interesting because, uh, you know, obviously he talks about one and oh, uh, every week, but at the same time, there is an overarching goal for this team and, and for this program. Um, and, you know, in order to reach that, you, your margin for error is really, really slim. And, you know, while, you know, a setback might create a, you know, a better product at the end of the year, you don't necessarily have that luxury uh, the way that things are set up right now. So, yeah, I think that we've heard a lot about the experience that this team has. You know, after the Rose Bowl last year, you had all those announcements with some of these veterans coming back. You know, guys like Keaton Ellis, Curtis Jacobs. Um, you know, Theo Johnson came back as well. Uh, so the guys that have played a lot Olu. of football. That oh, oh, that's a big one. Um, and so you know, I think getting these guys back that you know have been through it, that have kind of seen how things work, um, and can really set an example for these younger players. I I do think that this is a a mature team, you know, even down to even with a, a first year starter at quarterback um, who, you know, kind of looks you know beyond his years in terms of how he's he's handled some things. So, yeah, I think that that was a you know a pretty introspective answer from James Franklin about kind of, you know, what is at stake a little bit, you know, what you need to do to accomplish all of these goals. And, you know, that's to con- figure out how to continue improving, um, you know, on from the good. Um, you know, not having to get knocked on your butt um, and get back up, but how to just keep getting up and, and keep climbing, uh, you know, without that adversity. And it's not just that locker room mindset. It's the fact that you've got a head coach here in James Franklin, who you know, dating back to 2016 has four 11 win seasons. He knows what it's like to flirt with, with that college football playoff. He knows what it's like to be ranked inside that top four in early November, but getting to the point where you avoid those moments and you can get to the finish line. It's, it's been elusive for Penn state and, and most teams across college football. And I think you apply that to his coaching staff. Mike Yersich has been on board for one of those 11 win seasons, a bunch of these assistants. Most of them have been on board for at least one of those. Terry Smith's been around for all four of them. Uh, so at Manny Diaz, a head coach experience, it just feels like uh, they've got a lot working in their favor right now. And, and, and let's get into some forward thinking here because we had our uh, bi-week roundtable series launched earlier this week at Lines 
fun time. We had five different uh, five different items items to deal with here. Uh, three of them have already been published at Lions247.com. So on this segment, you'll get a, a peek at the next two of those. Uh, let's begin with our uh, choices for the early team MVP, which was pretty complicated pick because this defense has clearly been the stronger component when you look at both sides of the ball. But it has been spread across that group, as we've discussed at length. It hasn't been a singular virtuoso performances carrying the defense. It has been 25 guys uh, holding hands together and, and bowling over teams. So with that said, I'll bring it to you, Mark Brennan. We'll go in the same order that we worked with for our, our written pieces at Lions247.com. And you let off our early team MVP picks. Yeah, if this were most valuable person as opposed to most valuable player, I would go with Manny Diaz because I think the job he's done with the defense has been unbelievable, but that would be cheating, wouldn't it? So it's most valuable player. We're going with a player. And as you said, I find it very difficult to find one single person over on defense. So I'm going with Drew Aller. I, I think so much of what he's, he's done is kind of epitomized what this entire team is all about. Playing smart, playing hard, playing tough, not making the big mistakes uh, I just think he's, he's completing 64.6% of his passes, which projects out. I know that's a dicey proposition sometimes, but you know if, if he's able to carry that through the season, that's a big if. That would be the third best figure in school history among people with enough snaps. So, you know, that's a significant. Uh, that, that, that's significant. You know, nine nine touchdowns, uh, no interceptions just doing the right things to make sure that this team wins every game. So he's he's my guy, and I, I just uh, – and looking around, I was thinking maybe Olu, but, you know, there's still some issues with the running game. And I just think, you know, there, there was – he was such a question mark uh, coming in. You were wondering how he was going to handle the job, and I don't know that he could have handled it much better uh, given some of the expectations. I know that kind of – counters what I said, but the expectations were there, but we didn't know if he was going to be able to meet them. And I think so far he's met them. And I think there's still so much, so many more areas where he can just keep getting better and better and better. So to me, uh, Drew Aller kind of epitomizes what this team is all about. The other thing, when I talk about the toughness, he hasn't taken a lot of hits, but he's taken some pretty hard shots and he's, he's jumped right back up. And I think that's important. I think, you know, everybody, all eyes are on that quarterback. And, you know, that's something that I think everybody, you know, offense, defense, everybody could kind of get into. So he, he's my guy. I'm sticking with it. And uh, it was it was a tough one, but I'm going with Drew Aller. That's a great point. He's, he's you know, been a runner in the open field a couple of times, too, and, and has not been a slider. And you're wondering, OK, what is he going to get up? Are we going to have a pause here? And he bounces back up pretty quickly at six foot five, 240 pounds. That, that'll help you a little bit. I would have gone with Drew Aller if he was my pick. We don't allow duplicate picks here. Um, I'm with you. He's got his hand on the rudder of this offense. You know, he, he's been the guy orchestrating it. I thought, what, would he be kind of taking it in the back seat? And Nick Singleton and Kay Allen would be the guy. No, it's been Drew Aller has been his hand on the rudder. What we haven't seen from anybody on this team is what anyone looks like in crunch time when it's a tie game deep in the fourth quarter. And those are the kind of moments that would stand out when you're building MVP cases. So without that on the field right now, I'm just going to go pure value and look at what Keandre Lambert-Smith has done among offensive skill players and particularly among pass targets for this team. 
Um, he talked all offseason about wanting to be that number one guy, feeling like he can be that number one guy. And now here he is, and he has played that part, and that ascension has been so crucial for Penn State. The timing couldn't have been more perfect for Penn State because of what they're not getting elsewhere. His 25 catches right now through five games, that's 11 more than anyone else on this team. That's 15 more than any other receiver on this team. He has 372 receiving yards. That is three times the total of the next man up on the receiving yardage list for Penn State. Uh, Tyler Warren has 115 receiving yards. That's number two when you work your way down the stat sheet after five weeks. And uh, now averaging 14.8 yards per catch is Keandre Lambert-Smith. Um, that is more – that's actually four yards more than any player on Penn State's roster who has at least eight catches. So – you know, no one's at 11 yards per catch, per catch. If you have eight receptions on this team, he's at 15 per catch and he has 25 receptions. So I think you add all that together, you throw in the lack of explosive plays from Nick Singleton, uh, from Katron Allen in this run game. There've been moments where they've been able to put the game away, uh, but Jay, uh, Lambert Smith's the one who's producing big plays. He's got four of them that go for 25 plus yards. And, you know, you look at that number last year, maybe that total doesn't jump out. This year it does. He had a 25-yard pickup, a 35-yard pickup against Northwestern. He had the splashiest play of the passing season thus far on the first possession of this Penn State matchup. So I'm surprised I'm saying it. Not the name I would have figured I'd be going here on October 5th, but Keandre Lambert-Smith is my pick for MVP. Yeah, I, with with the third pick, I, I had a little bit slimmer pickings when, when you think about what, what this offense has done and how balanced the defense has been. Um, you know, I did consider Olu, um, but kind of like what Mark said, you know, you'd like to see a little bit more out of the running game um, if you're going to put this much praise uh, on, an, on an offensive lineman, even though he has been really, really good uh, in pass protection. So I went over to the defensive side of the ball and tried to pick a, a player to kind of, you know, maybe represent that whole unit. Um, and I went with defensive end Adisa Isaac. Um, he's tied for the team lead with two and a half sacks. Uh, we saw him come up with a, a big play against Iowa um, with his sack there. Um, you know, I, I think that he is someone that, you know, has really, really hit his stride since the middle of last season. You talk about returning from that torn Achilles that kept him out for all of 2021. Um, I just think that he's been playing some really, really good football over probably the past calendar year um, or so. And so, you know, I think that you, know, you could probably go with Chop Robinson as a pick here, too, if you wanted to you know, kind of represent the defense. I mean, he's been very disruptive this year even if he doesn't necessarily have the sack numbers, even though no one on this team really has sack numbers yet. Um, but, you know, I went with Adisa Isaac. I think the fact that he's also a team captain, you know, for this defense, um, I think that that's something that also means a lot. You know, he's a veteran. He's a tone setter. He's been around for a while. He's been through a lot. Um, and so I think that when you look at this defense and you try to pick maybe one player that that defines it up to this point, I think I'll go with Adisa Isaac. Can't argue with that pick. I mean, I think Curtis Jacobs, there's a case to be made there. I mean, maybe the, the best professional football prospect on this uh, on this defense, what you can say about him so far is he hasn't seen a lot of action uh, from opponents and, and Kalen King. So it's a, yep. it's a tricky conversation, especially when Manny Diaz is giving these guys so much time on the sideline as these games move forward. Uh, let's get into our next topic, and, and that is me leading things off this time. And 
This one takes us to Penn State's most improved player uh, through the first month of the season. I went with Tyler Warren. Uh, I'm going to throw some more stats your way. He's already established career highs in year four on campus in, in total snaps on the season. He's over 250 game snaps already. 50 plus per game this season, which is a lot when you think about the light workload that much of this roster has taken. He's got a career high in, in catches already, 14 of those uh, through five games. And he's second among all Big Ten players right now with four touchdown receptions. So reaching the end zone four times on those 14 catches, that's a pretty good percentage. And, and you know, he came into this year with three multi-reception games in his career. Uh, he has done that in each of the last four games. He's one of only two players on this Nittany Lions roster, along with Keandre Lambert-Smith, who has at least a couple catches in each of these last four games. We know how up and down the production has been across the board from this group. So I think right now you're looking at you – know, Theo Johnson, we'll get in a little bit. Are you going to get more out of him in the tight end position? But you're getting really high caliber uh, play out of Tyler Warren. I went all over uh, on the on the passing conversation there, what he's been for, for Drew Aller. But as a blocker, I think he's been one of the most impressive downfield run blockers on this entire roster. That's been consistent. When they have been able to break those runs of, of seven yards or longer, uh, I think he's been a big proponent of that, what he's done on the outside edge. So he's a guy I'm excited to keep seeing rumbling. And remember, he showed up to campus after being a Virginia Tech high school, uh, Virginia Tech football commit uh, at quarterback in high school. And now we're seeing him establish himself, I think, as, as one of the best tight ends in this conference. Um, Daniel, I'll turn it to you. Uh, Tyler Warren's the guy I'm going with. My pick might have a little bit of recency bias to it based on how he played against Northwestern, but um, I went with Zane Durant here at defensive tackle. I think that he's someone that has kind of transformed into more of an every down defensive tackle. I think last year when we saw him, it was a lot of passing situations. We know the type of athlete he is, and you know he has a unique frame that I think can make him a little bit difficult. Uh, to block on the interior, uh, especially, you know, the way that he can get off the line. Um, but I think that with his added size, you know, he's up to 285 pounds. He was listed at 276 last year on signing day uh, in December 2021. He was announced at 260. Um, you know, so he's been able to bulk up on the interior of this line that you know, we've heard a lot about how they needed to bulk up uh, over the past year. Um, but, you know, Durant leads the team and tackles for loss with four and a half. Obviously, getting three in a game will help you there. Um, and he ranks second with two sacks. So, you know, I think that coming into this year, there is a lot of you do have a lot of questions about the interior of this defensive line. You know, that big test is still looming uh, in November with Michigan um, and their style. But I think that Durant taking steps forward um, is something that can really, really benefit Penn State. Um, and I think we have seen him take some you know, pretty significant steps so far this year. Mark, finish this up uh, with your most improved player. Yeah, I, I was surprised uh, Kobe King was still on the board. I, I picked third. And, you know, to me, I, I, I had to take a look back because I was kind of remembering it as he and Tyler Elsden splitting snaps at Mike Linebacker. And that really wasn't quite the case. I mean, Elsden started every game last year and had over 120 more snaps. So he was clearly the established guy. And I know he was banged up in the spring, but the fact that Kobe King was able to take that job away uh, from an established starter on a pretty stout defense, to me, in and of itself, is, is a sign of how improved he is. But then you look at his production per snap, and it's, you know, really, he, when he's been on the field, he's been an impact player. 
you know, I, I love the way you put the snap counts together, Tyler, and I like to lean on them. So he's played 104 snaps through five games. That compares to 201 by Abdul Carter and 177 by Curtis Jacobs. And yet he still has as many tackles for losses, three, as those two combined. And he has 14 tackles, which on this team, you know, Curtis Jacobs leads with 18. Now, I completely get why they take him off the field in those those nickel and prowler packages because you can move Abdul Carter over to the mic position and he's going to be more athletic and can do more things. But I just think what we've seen from, from Kobe King in terms of uh, the quickness, you know, he was always a tough linebacker, but uh, he, he just seems quicker. And what did we hear from Manny Diaz this week? That it's as that Mike linebacker, he's reading things, he's seeing things, everything's coming more naturally to him this year. So Kobe King is my guy. I know he's not out there every single snap, but in terms of the production you're getting per snap, uh, he's been about as good as they've had over on that side of the ball. I thought about Kobe King more. Trust me, I thought about it. But I, I just thought Tyler Warren's been on the field so much more than, than Kobe King. I had to go in that direction. And uh, Daniel, can't fault you. Uh, recency bias or not, uh, Zane Durant is flashing. I saw it on the practice field yesterday. Uh, I forget who the unfortunate Penn State offensive lineman who had to deal with him was, uh, but he had a hell of a rep. So I, I think he's ready to feast some more as this fall goes on. Daniel, you're first off this time. And from going through the guys who have you know, steadily impressed us through the first five games to those we think are going to take another step forward in the remaining seven regular season games and beyond, second half breakout picks. And these could be absolutely defining for Penn State's ceiling and whether they ultimately break through as the Big Ten champion. Uh, I, I think you're going with one that, that a lot of people are hanging their hat on happening. Yeah, I went with Nick Singleton here. Um, you know, with this first pick, I, I didn't really see any any other way to go. Um, you know, I, I keep saying that he's due. Um, I think I said that maybe three weeks in a row. And I think that you do get to a certain point where you've been due so many times that um, you know, it does become a concern. But you know, I think that what we saw from Nick Singleton last year, what we know about him, you know, as a prospect and from the mental side of things, you know, I think that he is in a position to really take some strides forward um, in the second half of the season. I'm really curious what Penn State's self-scout uh, kind of uncovers, especially in regards to the running game. Um, but I just think that Singleton is, is too, talent, too talented to average 3.8 yards per carry for an entire season. Um, you know, we've seen some flashes of his explosiveness, um, that touchdown run against Illinois, where he was really able to get to the corner and, and hit the hole hard. Um, you know, I think that that's more indicative of, of what we'll see out of him. Um, you know, I ran the numbers a little bit and I think he had 1,061 yards last year. Um, if he's going to surpass that in 13 games, you'd have to average more than 97 yards per game uh, the rest of the way. Um, yeah, that's a, a bit of a, a tough ask, I think, especially when you're you're splitting reps. But the one thing that we know about Nick Singleton and that we saw last year is that he can put up yards in a hurry. You know, he can hit those home runs. Um, you know, we saw that against Ohio. We saw that against Auburn. We saw that against Maryland. We saw that against Utah. Um, you know, I think we're going to see more of that uh, through the second half of the season. And, you know, I think that by the time we get to the end of November, beginning of December, we're going to have seen the Nick Singleton that we expected to see all season. And if he wasn't the first guy that I thought of, Mark's pick was the next guy that I thought of. Mark, you're looking at this passing attack and, and a name that we keep bringing up. 
Yeah, and this I'll, I'll give you credit for another stat that, 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 that you pointed out earlier in the week, but uh, Trey Wallace through two games, 10 catches for 98 yards. He's still at 10 catches for 98 yards. He still ranks second among Penn State receivers in the number of catches, and I think that just shows that nobody's been able to step up and kind of seize that opportunity. You know, we saw what happened with Malik McLean out of Illinois, was given the opportunity to start and had two pretty big drops. Not big in the sense that it cost them the game, but they're, they're, they are catches that you absolutely have to make uh, when you get into the tight games this season. In the last couple games, uh, Dante Cephas gets to start, combined three catches for 32 yards. You know, you're looking at a different animal in, in, in Harrison Walls. I mean, this is a guy who's athletic. He can go up in traffic and make catches. And I think they're just, they absolutely positively need somebody besides Keandre Lambert Smith to step up. And I think we're far enough into the season that we've seen that none of these other guys are quite able to do it at that level. I'm not saying these guys can't be productive players, but I think we have a pretty good feel for what Harrison Wallace is all about, for what Trey Wallace is all about when he's healthy. And I don't know if it's going to be this week. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Is it going to be a, a situation where against UMass, you still want to protect them? But I know going down the stretch that I think he has the opportunity to do some really, really good things, especially – as teams spend more time focusing on Keandre Lambert-Smith and Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson. And when you look at what Nick Singleton's done in the passing game, I think there's just an opportunity there for a second wide receiver, you know, and then, you know, hopefully a third one steps up for him, but they absolutely positively need a second one. And I think Trey Wallace is the guy. There, there was plenty of names you can go defensively because of the depth they bring. I mean, Deny Dennis Sutton was someone that I really took a long look at, but it feels like the offense is in need. It's more of an urgency for these breakouts. So I went that direction as well. I also went with the passing game, and Theo Johnson was my pick. And through the first five games, guys, he is third among all Penn State skill players in game snaps. He's only behind Keandre Lambert-Smith, the leading receiver, and the starting quarterback in Drew Aller. But we just haven't seen it come together for him from a production standpoint. You think about what Theo Johnson accomplished last year, but we got to look at the tale of two seasons that it was. And does it happen again? Is it deja vu all over for the tight end here in 2023? 19 receiving yards last season through Penn State's first six games of the year. Then Daniel asked Mike Yersich about Theo Johnson's usage, and everything changed. I've talked about that plenty. The rest of the way, uh, six of seven games, 25-plus yard reception in those matchups. Uh, he has four touchdowns during that span. He had another big play in the, in the uh, Rose Bowl against Utah. Finishes last season leading this team with 16.5 yards per catch. And while the final stat sheet for Theo as a junior wasn't like, wow, this guy's an All-American tight end, he did so much during that second half that that we were openly wondering on this beat, would he take advantage and seize that opportunity and head to the pros after his junior year and, and kind of leave you wondering what if he had stuck around at Penn State, what more could he have done? We've had a chance to see that. It, it kind of surprised some of us ultimately that, that Theo did stick around, but I, I think it was the right call. And he's played a ton of football, but thus far, you know, he's averaging – half of the yards per reception that he did last year when he was such a dynamic weapon. He's at eight yards per catch on 12 total receptions, uh, no touchdowns, 101 receiving yards on the season. 
you think back to game one, it was so receiver heavy, 300 plus yards for that receiver unit for Drew Aller uh, against West Virginia. But that has not been the, 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 the case over and over again. This receiver room beyond Keandre Lambert-Smith has really failed to, to step up in the production department. And while Tyler Warren is having a career year, and I just addressed that in the most improved conversation, you just wonder if, if Theo Johnson's six foot six, 255 plus pound frame, his team captaincy, his experience, what he can bring to you vertically isn't just way up on that priority list. Once again, from Mike Yersich and finding a way to make this work. I think to this point, you're not worried about two tight ends keeping a wide receiver off the field. Theo Johnson has rarely come to the sideline when the game has been in the balance, but he's only got three or more targets in two, or he's only got more than three targets twice this season, guys. I think that's something that has to change. He is an NFL tight end in the making. Uh, and and I'm just wondering what exactly he's been. He's been patient with us in all of the conversations, Daniel. But he's just a guy that that I have a lot of questions about moving forward. Um, I'm going to move ahead here and, and and jump into the next discussion, and then we start with Mark. Uh, what is the biggest question regarding this Nittany Lions squad? Now sixth in the country, but nobody's perfect, and we've gone over the reasons why that isn't the case for Penn State here on the podcast. What is the top uh, on that list for you, Mark? Biggest question regarding their Big Ten title contention. Yeah, this was the easiest one for me. I mean, it's obviously the the ground game. I mean, you're, you're five games in now, and you've played two of the worst rush, the two worst rushing defenses in the Big Ten in Northwestern and Illinois, and you still haven't had any explosive plays out of the rushing game. The longest run by a Penn State player so far this season is Bo Previula, 21 yards in mop-up duty at Illinois. Second is Trey Potts at 20 yards. And Singleton and uh, uh, Katron Allen are 19 and 18 yards. So you're just not getting that explosiveness. Now, you may wonder why that 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 matters when you're five and zero and rolling along and outscoring opponents 40.6 to 9.6. And Penn State's actually ranked fourth in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game. Uh, that's because they've committed to it. I mean, if they have more rushing attempts than anybody else in the Big Ten, and they're averaging more rushing attempts per game than anybody else in the Big Ten. And I think that's a positive sign. That's telling me that they've not given up, that they realize that this is going to be important. You're going to get into games in the not-too-distant future against teams that have similar athletic ability, and you may not be able to do everything with the passing game that you want to do. And or and or you may have a lead in the fourth quarter against an opponent and you may have to rely on that running game to help grind things out and end that game. And I just you need to get something explosive coming out of that running game at some point and they just have not had it. So I think for this team to be where it wants to be, you're going to have to get more consistent production out of the running game, and you're going to have to get more explosive plays out of the running game. Um, and if you my, had said, you know, back in August that that we we weren't going to view the running back running game the same way as something you could obviously lean on game in game out, you, we probably all would have said, well, if you're five and zero and blowing teams out like this, then the passing game is absolutely clicking for you right now. Um, and, and that is not the case. And that's where I land for this. And I just I look at the wide receiver production beyond Keandre Lambert Smith. And it's something that I guess I won't spend a ton of time on it because it's a, a, a kind of a regular installment of this podcast at this point is discussing the receiver room. And that's just where it is. You know, Marcus Higgins has his handfuls handful in this bye week right now. 
figuring out like where guys like Amari Evans and Harrison Wallace and Malik Mega and Dante Cephas and Malik McLean and Caden Saunders stand because we think we have it figured out with two of these guys. I think Liam Clifford, pretty entrenched as a guy who's going to play probably at least half or so of your snaps in the slot, maybe a little bit less depending on game to game. Maybe his role can grow there. And then Keandre Lambert-Smith's going to be on the field uh, pretty much every every snap unless he's ready to tap out or if Penn State has a sizable advantage. So beyond that, I think Harrison Wallace is the right guy to look at. I think, Mark, you, you nailed it on the head. We, we heard so much about him in spring camp and preseason camp. He was a popular target for Drew Aller, someone that Drew was clearly comfortable targeting. And that's kind of where we're at now. It's, it's not just that, you know, there's been some drops here and there that have you know, turned attention, especially with some of these transfer pickups. But I think more so than that, it's been the miscommunication that's very apparent or just the lack of cohesive cohesiveness between Drew Aller and his receiver targets on some of these routes where the ball's just not within striking distance of a receiver. And you got guys kind of looking around. The body language is a little off. So I, I think there's a lot to figure out right now, getting everyone on the same page. And if they lack that kind of chemistry deep into this season, you know, when, when some of these taller tasks come to town, either you're going to really need to have this running game at a different level you're going to need to have a guy like Theo Johnson contributing at a very different level in this passing game, or you're going to have Keandre Lambert-Smith proving us all like uh, very wrong and going out there and getting 180-yard reception kind of games uh, where he's going out there and taking over things. Because I just think if, unless you have a second, third option at wide receiver that's consistently going to be there for Drew Aller, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough sledding to get to where you want to be when the college football playoff uh, participants are announced. And uh, we're going to Daniel to finish this thing off. Uh, so we got the ground game, the passing attack. And just a reminder, no team has scored 30-plus points more consecutively than these Nittany Lions. But we start off with a couple concerns offensively. And, Daniel, we finish with special teams, which has been a, a mainstay on this list since we looked <laughs> at the team in January. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty similar to what, to what you said about you know wide receiver room being a, a staple conversation on on this podcast. I think that special teams is in a, a similar category. Um, you know, I do think that Al Alex Falcons has added some stability to that kicker spot. Um, you know, he's still you know he had the the kick blocked against Illinois, and he had that miss uh, I believe from forty three yards against Iowa. Um, so, you know, it's still not, it doesn't feel automatic every time that he goes out there. Um, and then Riley Thompson, I think had a better game against Northwestern, um, in terms of his punts, you know, that hasn't through the first month of the season. That was another thing where, you know, the operation didn't always look, um, kind of the smoothest. Uh, and then I thought Northwestern had a couple nice returns. I mean, AJ Henning you know, was at Michigan at the start of his career and, you know, is a player, um, and he was able to find some space uh, in, in the return game against Penn State. So, you know, I think that you, you talk about it all the time where you get into these games. You know, Penn State hasn't had a game decided by single digits since that opener at Purdue. You know, when wins or losses over you know, basically the past year and a half of games, like it's been, you know, hasn't been decided at the end. But you know, we saw in 2021 where they had so many games that were decided by single digits. And you, I go back to that Michigan game uh, in 2021. Um, you know, obviously everyone remembers Eric All's touchdown, but that was a four point loss. Jordan Stout missed a field goal and an extra point uh, in that game. So there's four points that you leave on the board and a four point loss. Um, you can't afford to give up points that way. You can't afford to give another team a short field. 
um, you're just really going to have to play almost perfectly. Uh, and that's on that side of the ball. If you want to be you know, a big 10 contender, a college football playoff contender. So I think that there's some reasons for optimism with this group. Um, but I think that it still is in that concern category right now. Well, James Franklin said the bye week is, is part of it is cutting yourself open, experiencing some of that uncomfortable uh, self-assessment, uh, taking some critiques and carrying it forward. Um, from some questions about Penn State to some bold predictions about Penn State in the remainder of this season, I'll get us started on this last subject before we close out the podcast. And um, I'm going to go with Drew Aller, who has 11 touchdowns right now. And, and as we documented and everyone's documenting, no turnovers. I think he's going to get to the end of this season with 30-plus total touchdowns and five or fewer interceptions. And you might say, well, he's got no interceptions right now. That's not very bold. But remember what they have upcoming on the schedule. It's going to get intensified. Those road games, we, we haven't seen the best of Drew Aller on the road, and we're going to see him in a very different environment in Columbus. So, look, I think we're all accounting for some mistakes, some poor throws, some 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 interceptions to rack up. But I think he will still that ball security will be a calling card of Drew Aller throughout his career. Um, I, I just it's something that we've had feedback on from him going back to his junior year of high school about the way he's protecting the football, and it's only been harped on more here at Penn State. And thus far, uh, I, I'm I'm going to put that in the bowl prediction. But I think the 30 touchdowns may be a little more tougher to reach because you know Penn State they want to get to 15 games. They're they're going to get to 13. We know that. Um, but but Drew Aller is going to have to probably average you know two to two and a half touchdowns, if not a little bit more, to get to where I need him to be for 30 touchdowns. I think of because of what he's shown as, as a rusher and some of these goal line packages, the success of these short yardage circumstances might be to the detriment of the stat sheet for Katron Allen and Nick Singleton at the end of the year. But Drew's going to get his opportunities to score on, on some goal line spots. So I think those will rack up. And I think they're going to really put the, the games in his hands at, at certain times in a way we haven't seen thus far and how they handle the playbook. And just because in the fourth quarter, they're going to need him to make plays. They haven't had him been in that situation yet. So I think the passing yardages and the passing touchdowns will start to rack up a little bit. This is still a bold prediction, in my opinion, him going 30 plus and five or few interceptions. And I just want to give you a little bit of a comparisons to some of the more notable quarterback years in Penn State history as I was kind of putting my piece together for this roundtable. Um, you had Christian Hackenberg in his debut season, which was his best year, 24 touchdowns uh, total and then 10 interceptions. Again, total interception, total touchdowns, so including rushes here. Kerry Collins back in 1994, different game. I totally get it. But he had 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Michael Robinson's best year here on campus, 28 total touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Sean Clifford's best year, which was last year, 29 total touchdowns, 7 interceptions. And I came away from this study with a lot more respect for Trace McSorley, who I saw play firsthand. But holy crud, 36 touchdowns, 8 interceptions in his first year as a starter. 39 touchdowns, 10 interceptions in his second year as a starter, and then 30 touchdowns and seven interceptions in his third year as a starter. So I put all that out there to say that if Drew goes 30 plus and five or fewer, categorically from a statistics standpoint in that ratio, you're going to have to put this pretty high up on the list of Penn State quarterback seasons. And this is year one with the former number one overall quarterback prospect. So that would be a damn good return on your money, and it would probably be mean uh, be meaning that Penn State has a interesting December lined up for themselves. Uh, we go to you next, Daniel, and and you're going to take us to the defensive side for your bowl prediction. 
Yeah, I looked at the defense, and I I think that we're going to see a Penn State defender uh, get to 10 sacks this year. Uh, No one has done it since Carl Nassib did it in 2015, dating back to 2005. It's only been done four times. Um, There's been a couple near misses. Arnold Abichetti had nine and a half sacks two years ago. Uh, Itor Grossmatos had nine sacks uh, when he was here at Penn State. Um, and it's going to be an, an uphill climb, you know, to make this happen. I, I touched on it earlier when talking about Adisa Isaac. You know, the team lead right now is only two and a half sacks. That's Adisa Isaac, Kaziah Izzard, and um, Soraya Fisher. Zane Durant is right behind them at two. Amin Vanover has one and a half. And then you have a big group of guys with one sack. That includes Denai Dennis Sutton and Chop Robinson. Um, but I think the one thing that Penn State has shown, and I think that it's kind of a, it's definitely a cliche with, with sacks overall in all of football, but they can really come in bunches. You know, we've seen some games where Penn State has really lived in the backfield. Um, that Iowa game stands out uh, to me. Um, and I think, I don't think it would be a surprise to see a game down the stretch where, you know, Isaac, Dennis Sutton, or Robinson, or even Fisher or Vanover comes away with, uh, you know, two or three sacks. So, you know, I think that they can come in bunches. You can get on a heater uh, and really rack them up quickly. So I think by the time we get to to November and you know, whenever that 13th game happens, I think we'll see someone over 10. And now for the only prediction on this entire conversation <laughs> that me and Daniel do not know. This is a big surprise for all of us. Set the stage here, Mark. Finish us out. Your bold prediction for the remainder of this 2023 season. It has not been documented via text or uh, via anything. So this is a, this is a new one for us. Nick Singleton is going to rush for a thousand yards. There it is. So I, I know people may be people may be looking at him right now with 283 yards through five games and thinking, you know, how is he going to get there? Well, you know, to do it by the end of the regular season, it'd have to average just over 100 yards per game if you include the bowl, with which bowl stats do count now. I won't even get into the Big Ten championship and whatever. Let's just be keep it. You know, the math is difficult enough for me. Uh, so I'm just keeping it very basic. But if you include one other game, it's going to be about 90 yards. You know, we were on with Mike Yersich the other day, and, and something he said to a question Daniel asked really resonated with me. He was talking about the running backs in general, about uh, Nick and Katron. And he said, you know, one of the keys is just continuing to trust their instincts, trust their vision and their speed, learning when to bounce and be a little bit patient on certain A-gap runs. And I, I think what Yursich was getting at was that Nick Singleton, I think, is overthinking things a little bit. When you see him out there, he's not making some of the quick decisions that we saw last last year. And I think this off week is coming at a good time. Talking to him after the Northwestern game, he said physically it's coming at a good time for everybody, and I assume that means him as well, even though he hasn't had a tremendous workload. But I think this is a good chance for him to st- take a step back Remember, when you're in the in the grind of of game week, you you're not looking back at what you did the previous week necessarily. You're you're typically looking ahead to your next opponent. And one thing that you're able to do during the bye week is self-scout. And that's just not the coaches. I think that's some of what the players are able to do. The it's in there for Nick Singleton. We know the talent is in there. We know the speed is in there. We know the athletic ability is in there. And and I think it's just a matter he's been this close on a couple or he could have, you know, another 70, 80, 90 yards already. 
And I, I think as the season goes along, you're going to see him start to trust those instincts a little more. The fact that Yurcich said that, you know that message has been passed along to him. And I think Jaywan Sider is an outstanding coach, and I think they're going to get it out of him. Now the big question is, are you able to do that with Katron Allen also getting his? And I think they will be able to do that. I think they will be able to balance that out. Uh, but I do think Nick Singleton is going to have a couple explosive games that will get him back on track and then cruise toward 1,000 yards at the end of the season. Well, there it was. Five different topics for our bi-week roundtable series, which you can uh, review at lines247.com in its entirety uh, right here on the podcast as well. Uh, fun, fun conversation. I mean, obviously, if our forecast for those bold predictions come to fruition, it's going to be good news for the Nittany Lions moving forward. We've got a lot to learn about the team. We'll have another game week next week. We will not have a Monday episode next week because we're not going to be cleaning up uh, notes coming off of a, of a game, but we'll be back Tuesday, fresh out of James Franklin's Regular pre uh, press conference. We're back into our game week groove. We'll be back on Thursday for our preview and predictions. Along the way, we'll give you some intel on what UMass is all about, what they're bringing to town. But it's going to be a big week to focus in on this Nittany Lions squad coming out of the bye week, a 3.30 kickoff next Saturday, October 14th. Daniel and I will be back with a post-game podcast after this one. But for now, on a Thursday, we're saying goodbye for the week, which is a nice little change of pace after five consecutive post-game shows, and including some very late-night sessions between <laughs> me and Daniel. And Guys, I hope you uh, have a restful weekend and enjoy your weekend, whatever you choose to do. And we'll come back with a uh, little more juice in the batteries, I think, uh, come next week. And got a lot to learn about Penn State football. Go Phillies. Yep, and I hope all the fans out there enjoy the weekend, too. I know there's no Penn State football, but a lot of other cool sports things going on. And, and we'll have discussion going on on the boards and stuff, so people will be around. Definitely. I think it's a needed time, and it's going to be fun to get back to it. All right. Take care, guys. Uh, that's it for us on this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thanks to Josh Pate for hopping on with us for this first segment of the episode. Always great perspective uh, from one of our favorites here within the 24-7 Sports Network. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll be back next week, as we said, with coverage uh, leading up to the UMass homecoming matchup. Uh, for now, check out everything at lines247.com. A bunch of bi-week conversation. We've got a live chat going on. And if you're catching this on Thursday, you got a few more hours Midnight tonight is when it ends, but two months for $1 to come on board for VIP access. I mean, why not? 50 cents a month through the regular season and the Big Ten title game weekend, and you get everything that we're packing from a recruiting perspective along that way as well. Uh, we appreciate all the uh, listeners, all the readers, and all the viewers on, on YouTube. For now, uh, we're stepping aside. We'll talk to you next week. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.